Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Should Christians use preferred pronouns? And what's up with the ever leftward drift of organizations, many of them even professing Christian organizations? How do we respond to the claim that God made me this way when people talk about their gender identity or sexuality? All of this and more is covered in my conversation today with Jennifer Friesen, and I know that this conversation is going to bless, encourage, and equip you to have better conversations and lean into difficult places in relationships where you might otherwise feel the most loving option is just to stay quiet, back down, and keep the peace. Well, Jennifer is going to tell her story as well as offer a ton of helpful information and suggestions, and there's just a lot of encouragement in this episode for you, so I know that you will find it worth your time. Uh, Before I play our conversation, uh, I want to remind you that this podcast is fueled by your recommendations, your word of mouth referrals, your sharing episodes with your friends, and also your leaving reviews on the podcast. So if you've never done that, I would encourage you to scroll down. You will see inside the Apple podcast app, uh, a place to leave um, a star rating and a few words and then submit your review. Other apps may have that option as well, wherever you're listening, just appreciate that so much. It really helps uh, the podcast be referred to others who are interested in similar topics to you. Um, and if this episode helps you, or if you have a loved one who is in a spot that you know this would help them, I would encourage you to send this to them. Um, there's a, a lot of wisdom uh, from Jennifer's story and what she shares in this. And um, you know, I, I know that it's something that so many of us, nearly all of us, are encountering in real life relationships that we really do need godly wisdom to walk wisely and, um, you know, not be the bull in the china shop, but also not be the doormat just laying down and letting people (laughs) walk all over us and, you know, failing to share the gospel with them and failing to actually truly love them by speaking the truth. So I know that you'll walk away from this feeling more empowered to do that. So, uh, anyway, that's all I have. So here's my conversation with Jennifer. Jennifer, thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. So uh, we're going to get into a broader conversation about the LGBTQ movement, pronoun hospitality, and the Christian's response to what we see culture doing. Um, But before we do, I would love for you to introduce yourself to listeners, tell us who you are and what you do. Awesome. Yeah. So I'm Jen and I blog and have an Instagram called Do Better Theology that I started because I was really passionate about talking about sexuality and wanting to equip people. But um, before that, I worked for Young Life, which is a youth organization, and I worked with kids with special needs. And even within the organization locally, I started seeing a shift culturally, um, especially, I mean, for everyone, when 2020 hit, you really started seeing Mm -hmm. some of the wheels come off. But I had, I'd even been part of a cultural intelligence training um, a few years prior to that, where there was someone in there who represented Young Life who was saying all the same things you would hear at a Coca-Cola diversity training, you know, talking about whiteness and um, saying things like gender and pronouns don't matter because who says God has a penis, like things like that from Mm. up front. And there was no pushback from staff in the room. Mm. All of us, if you disagreed, you just felt terrified that something would happen to your job. So I was already seeing this trend And then um, during 2020, I was reading, well, it was funny because I was taking the advice of some of those hashtags on Twitter, like amplify melanated voices. Mm -hmm. And so I posted on my private social media, Thomas Sowell, uh, Thomas Sowell essay. He's a black Mm -hmm. author, uh, Mm -hmm. economist, very prolific writer um, Mm -hmm. for like 50 plus years. 
and a Samuel Say, who's a blogger, who's a Canadian, African American, mm-hmm. right? And um, I put a response to white fragility, and I got anonymously reported, got an official warning from our organization, and then I gave my two weeks notice right away. Once I was free, I started writing, uh, I started blogging, because there was kind of this movement called Do Better Young Life that was mm-hmm. really had a problem with young life and their policy about sexual fidelity and their sexual content, uh, sexual statement of faith and things like that. Uh-huh. So they were, had like 10,000 followers and started roasting young mm-hmm. life every single day. When I was on staff, I couldn't say any or do anything about it, even though my own story uh, could answer some of those questions and what God had done in my life. You just knew you weren't allowed to talk about it, sort of. Mm -hmm. So once I was free to do that, I started responding to that blog. I got blocked from them. So I was like, fine, I'm just going to open my own Instagram and start talking about the Bible Mm -hmm. and why I think God's plan for sexuality is the best for, you know, human flourishing. Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of, just a side project, really. Something I was really excited and passionate about. Yeah. Yeah. Sharing your voice, sharing your story. Uh, I was kind of smiling as you were talking about, you know, you, you tried to do what the hashtag said, elevate melanated voices. Like I remember seeing all those hashtags, seeing share the mic, you know, all of this. And I had a platform at the time and decided also, okay, I'll do that, but I'll share the melanated voice that shares, you know, what I believe to be a true perspective or a biblical perspective and it's funny because it wasn't received well at all. It was, mm-hmm. no, not that voice, not that right. voice. That's not, right. they're not sharing. That's not a traditionally black perspective, or that's not, um, that's not true to the black experience, the African-American experience in America. They are an uncle Tom. They are, I mean, all mm-hmm. kinds of just racial slurs right. against people like Virgil Walker, Daryl Harrison, Samuel mm-hmm. Say, all these people yeah. you're you know, that, that are on our ideological side of the aisle because they didn't want, they didn't actually care if the voice was melanated or not, by the way, right. we're all melanated to some degree. Yeah. So it's the stupid it's part about it. Term, right? Yeah. So dumb, <clears throat> but they didn't care about that. It was just right. share our perspective or disappear. Literally. Yeah. That's all they wanted. They, <clears throat> they're when someone says diversity, they don't mean actual diversity. Usually they only mean black Americans they don't mean Asian Americans. They don't mean Eastern mm-hmm. Indian Americans. And they don't totally. mean people from other countries. I went to a panel like on the emergent church. Um, I watched a panel. So, you know, most of it, it was like Brian McLaren was one of the host guys mm-hmm. of it. He was like a leader in the emergent church. Mm-hmm. And there was an um, Indian American pastor who had lived in Russia, had grown up in India and was theologically very sound and conservative. And he's being lectured by white progressives well who are you hanging out with basically saying you're too white adjacent it Uh was awesome to watch him dismantle their arguments but it was interesting because it's like he only could say certain things and have some level of respect with this group because of the color of his skin yeah but then they didn't respect him because he was not ideologically aligning with what they wanted yeah so they don't want actual no and that's what in my response to the our local organization, I said, you don't actually want ideological diversity. No, you want only, you know, it's a, you're using someone as a token Mm -hmm. if their skin color is different from yours and they agree with you, but it's not tokenism if it's the other side using it, you know? So it's just, and the idea that you would call an individual who has their own autonomy and their own thoughts. And to say that Thomas soul would be a token for someone right when it's like we're Mm -hmm. not even talking about being in the same intellectual spheres like I'm not even the same sphere as him intellectually I'm just borrowing his words and trying to say this is interesting Mm -hmm. and saying you're using that person it's like it's so offensive to the person that yeah whose words you're reading you know so it totally it totally dehumanizes I mean a ton of people who are not white majority culture I mean because like you said, there's ideological diversity within uh monochromatic skin color. There's, mm-hmm. you know, all white people don't agree. All black people right. don't agree. All, and you're, you're literally minimizing. And Candace Owens talks about a plantation of the mind. Like 
progressives, liberals, they really just want to create a plantation of the mind where people are workers for their purposes, their goals. And they essentially are not just not just working, but slaves, they're slaves to it. And that's ultimately what they want, whether no matter their skin color. And, and it makes sense from a biblical worldview, because we can go, well, yeah, because any ideology that isn't rooted in God's truth and scripture is going to be from the enemy, from Satan himself. And so of course he wants people to be enslaved to sin and enslaved to deception. And of course he does. And he's just using this narrative to really capture more people into this like hopeless cycle of, trying to satiate the woke, trying to appease, um, you know, those who not, they, they haven't even necessarily sinned against like group think right. mentality that we're all, we're all guilty. If you're white, it's like, no, racism is not a group, uh, sin. It is an individual and, and it's not even a, a biblical term to use. It's really just hate. Do you have hate for your brother or sister based on any factor? It doesn't matter whether it's skin or their thoughts or their beliefs, anything like that. That would be a right. It's not, you know, yeah. we don't even see the word racism in the Bible. Right. Partiality, right? Isn't that, yeah. I think, mm-hmm. and I feel like 2020 helped so many Christians to find so many great resources. Like you mentioned, the Just Thinking, mm-hmm. uh, the Just Thinking guys. And then I, are you familiar with Center for Biblical Unity? Oh yeah, I've had well? Monique yeah. on also. Oh yeah, awesome. Yeah. yeah, Monique and Krista and their partnership. And, mm-hmm. and so I'm thankful for that period of time because- it, yeah, me too. This idea of like, you know, educate yourself is not my job to educate you. It's like, mm-hmm. okay, whatever. But I, it is our job to go and educate ourselves. But then finding great resources is really helpful because we yeah, get educated along a biblical worldview. Right. And especially someone who's come from the secular worldview and said, mm-hmm. well, now I know it's wrong. Mm-hmm. is really helpful. So It is. And I remember when I discovered Virgil and Daryl, I thought, Oh, good. Now I found a voice that people will listen to. It's two black guys who are sharing scriptural truth, who are calling people back to the word, calling people to be unified because Christ has already created unity. We don't need to try and achieve that or work for that ourselves. We can't. We can only walk in unity um, that he has already established. And and I had my feet at the time was just filled with a bunch of people from my old church who were sharing things about systemic racism and structural injustice and all of these things. And just a lot of sob stories that ultimately were rooted in this false narrative that everybody was buying the BLM movement, all that. And I shared, you know, an article that Virgil had written. And I think it was something along the lines of like, I'm not a victim. I don't need your, I don't need your empathy or your, you know, don't, don't victimize me essentially. Like I'm not a victim of anything. Like I'm a successful you know, African-American man in this country, I'm a citizen, just like you, like, stop acting Mm -hmm. like you're better than me and you're above me. And I shared that. And I mean, you would not, you would believe, but a lot of people might (laughs) not believe the backlash that I received from Christians. I'm not saying Mm -hmm. from non-Christians, from actual Christians, people who I went to church with, my DMs were lit on fire. They were, Mm -hmm. people were so angry. People who had adopted black sons, viewed this as a personal attack on their son that Virgil would say, I'm not a victim. Don't, Mm -hmm. you know, don't lump me in with your group think plantation mentality. I'm not, I don't agree. And I reject this. And, and these Christian white women, Mm -hmm. all of them, every single one who was enraged was a white suburban mom. And they were just lambasting me for sharing Mm -hmm. a melanated voice. (laughs) It's like, what is happening? <laughs> you know, right. it, but that it, was, that was the world we lived in. And you can use all the same language. It's like, it's the height of privilege. It's, it's actually white supremacy. If yeah. you look at someone and because of their skin color, think they are oppressed or a victim or less than you. It's like, that's what racism is. Yeah. When you look at someone and see them as an image bearer of, of God, and there's nothing that separates us in terms of human value. That's what I would say the Christian worldview is, you know, and that's how, what's changed the world incredibly, right? <clears throat> mm-hmm. I mean, people like what Wilberforce, William Wilberforce in yeah. England, who a politician who becomes a Christian and then fights the rest of his life against slavery. Like Christ is what changes yeah. prejudices and partiality that people naturally carry, really, because it's human mm-hmm. nature to say, Right. I care about what's mine. My family comes first. My people, 
And I don't care what happens to you. That's mm-hmm. human nature. So people who espouse a humanist worldview, who cares if I have more than you or mm-hmm. I'm stronger than you? or we don't care about people with disabilities or babies in the womb, et cetera, right? Because that follows a natural humanist worldview. The Christian worldview is what changes everything. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, and we, we kind of started this off, we're, we're heading towards a conversation around the LGBTQ movement, but um, this is actually very, these two, these two ideologies run very parallel because essentially it is redefining terms, calling calling those new terms, those new definitions, what is truly loving, what the Bible really means by what it says and, um, and deceiving people. And so there's not a whole, I mean, we could have been talking about LGBTQ really this whole time, um, sure. based on what we've been saying, because a lot of the trends are very parallel. It's just, um, you know, same game, different day, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you mentioned about young life as an organization, kind of that the leadership was ignoring a lot of um things that should have been being called out by an explicitly christian organization that is supposedly trying to reach youth with the gospel you know um and i am very familiar with young life because my husband was a leader for several years and worked at multiple different young life camps over you know five or six years every summer uh was really committed to his kids that you know that looked up to him as a big brother and friend and you know and developed really awesome friendships with them was able to share the gospel with them. So it's not, we're not saying that everything young life has ever done is for nothing. It's, it's, it's the leadership, the organizational kind of decision to cower and cave to these groups, like the ones you were describing the do better young life that came out. And I remember that. So can you speak to kind of what you've seen happen in Christian organizations as a result of this ideology and just the the trend that we're all noticing, even believers are shifting leftward and more progressive to try and satiate this, this ideology. Yeah. I wonder if there's kind of some separate groups that we're talking about. So let's give like a huge benefit of the doubt and say that there's a person who's so faithful and loves Jesus and start and 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 so much of this will be because they have a personal family member or friend they really care about mm-hmm. who is the person in their ear and maybe the first person to start articulating a, a worldview to them and i think what happens is that person is faithful and loving and thinks they can be more loving than god mm-hmm. by saying okay i'm going to i really care about this person i really want to love them well I'm listening to them tell me how to do that. Love them well. I'm going to use their pronouns. I'm going to call them gay. I'm going to wave the rainbow flag. I'm going to walk in the pride parade, whatever it is. I'm going to read all the texts and books they give me that show that the Bible was just translated incorrectly. And they just start to sort of slip and slide into this ideology from from that perspective, right? So there's people like that. They're still wrong. They're completely misled. But I think it's from this place where they think yeah, I can be more loving than God is. Right. Something must have just, I don't understand it. So the Bible must be wrong, you know? Mm-hmm. And then the the ones, I guess I would say I get the most frustrated with is the people who are fully sold out for sort of the progressive movement. Mm-hmm. And and they they are like the prophets of the new, mm-hmm. you know, of the ideology. And there are people like, that have admitted, well, I'm going to stay inside the organization and try to change it from within. So they're the ones that are anonymously reporting staff and the ones who are asking questions in, uh, you know, or they're the ones, I would say, they're the ones who are leading high school kids and sort of insidiously, mm-hmm. well, I'm going to share my personal, you know, that I identify. We had a guy who got fired for being a leader who uh, basically shared his sexual identity and questions and things like that with middle school kids he was leading and was surprised that it was like, Hey, actually, we don't want you to be a volunteer with us anymore. Like things like that. So mm-hmm. I think, which is actually what should happen. These... What's that? Well, I mean, that's a good thing that he was fired. Oh, yes. right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. For sure. But he didn't understand. Um, right. Well, of course mm-hmm. he's like, what's like, this is my, I... so that's the thing because this is so tied to incorrectly this is who I am. Right. There's, it's really difficult to say what you think about this is wrong. It's mm-hmm. 
what you think about this or this or this behavior is sinful because it's so tied to, well, this is who I am. And they believe, well, God made me this way. So the Bible mm-hmm. must be wrong. And so mm-hmm. there's just so much wrapped up and, and, and tangled together in this. And I think organizations, so, and I would say it was our local leadership primarily that I have an issue with, whereas nationally, it has felt like they've at least stayed orthodox. Uh, My issue nationally was it was like too little too late. And I get really irritated with this very apologetic, mealy feeling of, oh, this is our sexual like ethic, but we're really sorry about it. Like we feel yeah. really bad mm-hmm. and let's make sure that's an internal document that nobody ever talks about or. Yeah. And, and we don't under, just, like, we know it's so hard. We don't understand it either, but you know, <laughs> that kind of attitude. And it's like, if you communicate that to a 21 year old leader who's swarmed yeah. with the opposite ideology Mm-hmm. They are going to take the exact same posture with their high school kids. Oh, I know this yeah. guess this is like this stupid, archaic. Right. And they'd say this old white people, old donors are the ones who care about right. this. I want to take a second to tell you about a sponsor for Kindled, and that is Annie's Kit Clubs. Annie's Kit Clubs are amazing ways to engage in creativity with your daughters. So what I love about Annie's Kit Clubs is that they come with everything you need to encourage your daughter's inner artist and watch her creativity soar. It's created for girls ages seven through 12, which uh, I have two in that category. And so the Creative Girls Club offers them a new world of crafting inside each and every single kit. They get two kits per month. So inside she'll find easy to follow instructions and all the materials that she needs to get crafting with minimal adult supervision. That is key for me. She will learn fun skills that will last a lifetime, including painting, beading, stitching, paper crafting, and so much more. I love this company. I love that they are helping us spend time with our girls, get engaged, helping them be crafty and creative, and just something fun to look forward to in the mail every month. Check out Annie's Creative Girls Club. Scroll down to the show notes of this episode and click the link in order to get signed up and get yours on the way today. Get 50% off your first month of an Annie's Creative Girls Club box when you scroll down to the show notes and click my link, get signed up today. That's the only reason we have to do it. And when there's no leadership from the top down, then you, then even more like you were talking about the local leadership, like you said, that was your main issue. But I think that is the main issue with, with Young Life as a whole is that they do view corporate as kind of the archaic, the old white dinosaur guys who are somewhere behind a desk making executive decisions, but they're the 35 year old, you know, kind of edgy, hip, very well-liked, well-connected area director. And they are the ones who it's on them now to right the wrong, turn the ship, do what's right by their leaders and their students. And they're, they, they're in the trenches and they're the ones who see what kids are really going through and what they're really struggling with. And they're going to lose, they're going to lose in their minds, like connection, authenticity, trust, all of these things they've been working so hard to build. And truly they have been working hard. Like it's a pretty thankless job. They're not getting paid a ton. Like it's a very difficult thing, like to go show up at a high school as school's getting out, trying to connect with kids in the inter, you know, the in-between times of 10 to 15 minutes before their parents get them or they leave or, you know, just, it is very hard. And so I can understand their desire to like, not lose what they've built with the kids, but that just speaks to the greater, deeper issue of like bad theology because they mm-hmm. think that you can, um, you know, shimmy your way into someone's life by just saying what is good and right. And that then you'll what flip the script on them and it's a bait and switch or it's mm-hmm. a more likely usually it's that the leader themselves has actually already been indoctrinated by mm-hmm. the world and now is like, this is what you need. This is how I can love you. I need to accept you. You know, the table's long enough and wide enough. We're going to build longer tables, not higher fences, blah, 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 all of this. Mm -hmm. And they haven't understood the gospel and they haven't understood that God calls and justifies and sanctifies and glorifies that it's a work. The harvest, like they are called to be gardeners and doing that tilling, sowing work, but they don't get to dictate the harvest. And Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I think it it does boil down to theology, which is what your account is called. Do better theology, because if you don't understand that piece, 
you will fall prey. You literally will fall prey to this message that is so pervasive in culture. Yeah. And I think part of, um, part of this is like, why have we, one of my critiques within our local, the local organization was this idea of like, there's no critical thinking and pushback against the ideologies we're being presented with. So it's like, a lot of our trainings were let's preach culture to our staff. Mm -hmm. And there's a sense of cultural intelligence being a good thing. We're going to understand how a culture works. Or when I cross into, uh, I've traveled to Guatemala, I'm going to understand that there's some things with like, whether we shake hands or not, here's Mm -hmm. some language things that we say, I mean, you know, like using symbols like this or this are different or this are different when you go across different cultures, which is Mm -hmm. just interesting. That's cultural intelligence. But when it's things like, we're going to teach you language, like cis gender Mm -hmm. means what that you're actually a man, actually a woman, but they're not saying it to you with a sense of incredulousness or critique and saying, mm-hmm. just so you know, you might hear your teens say this ridiculous word. Yeah. They're saying it like that's language we should use. Like people yeah. used Latinx mm-hmm. in a training in front of me where I had a Mexican-American leader, a mom next to me that was like, what does that mean? Because it's like white supremacy taking over another culture's language. We're going to put mm-hmm. X on the end of it. So mm-hmm. it's gender neutral now. Yeah. It's just things like that are, so instead of being critical, we just said, okay, yeah, sure. We adopt that. And so what I'm saying is the largest point I would say around sexuality that we've just adopted as true is that people are born this way. Lady well, Gaga. I I should, yeah, yeah. It was Lady Gaga. She started, I guess I should say, start for, for myself um, because it does feel like I'm you kind of are allowed to say different things once you're like, no, I'm talking from my own perspective. This is my lived experience, right? Mm. Okay. So from as early as I can remember, I felt like God had made me wrong. Like Mm. I was describing this to my friend. It's like a switch. There's a boy switch and a girl switch and whoops, Mm -hmm. God just clicked the wrong switch. I ended up a girl, but he meant to make me a boy. I remember Mm. thinking that as a little kid, I don't, you know, and I couldn't articulate why did I think that or whatever. Mm-hmm. My, I grew up in the church, but these weren't conversations people had mm-hmm. really in the 90s and 2000s as much. So I liked wearing more. I was wearing my brother's hand-me-downs. I liked traditionally boy games and playing outside. I only played Barbies with my sister if I was coerced in some way. And then I would try to get out of it quite quickly. Mm-hmm. She was fun to play with, but. So, so I remember feeling this and then when, you know, you start hitting puberty and you start having interest in, in peers, my interest was toward girl peers. So same sex attraction. Mm -hmm. Again, these felt like I, it was like, I intrinsically knew it was bad because I felt immediately felt shame about it. Mm -hmm. I can't tell anybody. No one can know this about me. And as puberty hits some of the gender, uh, some of the gender thoughts and I would say as my understanding of God grew right so you know I'm a teenager I start to understand okay I'm obviously a woman and God there's not a switch God doesn't Mm -hmm. accidentally do anything I'm a woman on purpose but my attraction just got stronger because puberty and all these things so when people say well you must be born that way because I have a friend and they felt it from the first thing they can remember but I'm like, go actually look for evidence mm-hmm. that your attraction is genetic in some way mm-hmm. or inborn. You cannot find evidence to this. People right. will send you a little like, well, there's these little tips of mm-hmm. cells in gay men they studied. And it's like a study of 50 people. And it's like, they might, da, 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 da. okay. I don't think there's evidence for this, but that is the basis for the majority of like Mm -hmm. the rest of the ideological worldview. And, and then to that point, if you're a Christian, you would say, so what? Rachel Gilson talks about this. If you were born that way, you still have to be born again. So her book is born again this way, right? So the idea for a Christian that when I was a child, I thought something, therefore it must be true. 
It's like, no, Christians think when I was a child, I thought and reasoned as a child, but now I'm an adult. So I need to think and reason as an adult. So Christians can't get around any of it. Yes, that's Paul. Mm -hmm. Christians cannot get around it. If you're born that way, you must be born again. If you're born desiring to do something naturally, we would say there's a litany of things. Yeah. Naturally, I would join the club. (laughs) Right. Every so, and we're all on the same page in that. And I think it's Sam Alberry who says people act like someone who struggles with attraction or gender things is in some very different boat, right? In terms of dying to yourself. And he says mm-hmm. that makes him want to ask that Christian, Have you died to yourself and everything? Because Christ is telling everyone, Yeah, you will die to yourself for me 100%. You've not yeah. lost everything mm-hmm. yet you'll be willing to lose it, you know, in the future. Mm -hmm. So we're not some special class that where we're the only ones really suffering because we had to give up everything. Everyone who follows Christ has had to give up everything, Mm -hmm. will have to give up everything. Yeah. Suffering in some way, waiting for something that they don't have yet. Mm -hmm. We're all in the same boat. So that's my biggest critique, I guess, with Christians is this idea of like, we've assumed people are born this way. Mm -hmm. That's how it is. Then we look at scripture then we look at the rest of the worldview. And I would say, start there and start pulling that apart. And the rest of the ideology becomes a little easier to think mm-hmm. through and to talk to someone about and to ask questions about when you're talking to a teenager or your mm-hmm. kid says to you something about their pronouns or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. You start you start asking a lot more questions and being more curious instead of just assuming, oh, obviously you're born that way or you're a boy yeah. in a girl's body. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing your story. I think that's just a really powerful, you know, testimony to that you have been made new, that you have been born again. And because you are not looking at yourself through the lens of your desires, through the lens of your proclivity or your propensity or what it feels like you were by default made, but through the lens of what does the Bible say? It does say that I was born into sin, right? It, even from the moment of conception, I was conceived and that sin was passed down to me from Adam. And I think there's a whole lot of Christians who get swept up in this movement who just truly do not, as we have continued to say, do not understand even a basic concept like original sin. Maybe don't understand how that applies, how that, what does, they don't understand the gospel they don't under, because they're so uncomfortable with these conversations, with going there, with saying that that could be part of what you must die to, what you must be made new from, um, rather than something that is this core element of your being that has to be be preserved and will somehow be you, your glorified body will be a lesbian and or, or gay in heaven, like because that's what we would have to say. And I'm sure there's many that obviously believe that, but I, again, just continues to go back to: Are we filtering what we see in the world, what we see people struggling with, the the real? anxiety, the real angst, the real pain that we do see in the world, are we filtering that through God's word or are we filtering God's word through that? It's Mm -hmm. which comes first. I mean, really, it's just, it boils down to that. Um, And I think when you start, I think it's very, I have some degree of empathy for, for young life as an organization in that they are dealing with kids' souls and they felt, I'm sure that the loving thing to do, right, was in so many ways, start man first. It's a man-centric gospel. And I mean, I have issues with Young Life's approach outside of this because I think there's a lot of deeper concerns about the way they go about things. But I will say I respect the idea of earning the right to be heard. You know, that's a big thing in the organization is you have to earn the right to be heard with these kids. So you build a relationship in order to then share the gospel. But I think the some of the problems with that approach is that then you might find yourself in a spot where you're like, well, you know, I I just don't know if our relationship's there yet, so I can't share the gospel. And Mm -hmm. that's where we start to get into, I think, some, you know, sketchy waters and some places where it's like, are, you know, who's the harvester? Because I think that's where you believe like that it is all on you. It's all on your approach, how you share, when you share, what you share, and not on God calling that person and just using you as a vessel. So mm-hmm. whether they accept or reject, it's his work. It's not you. Like, and I think that, you know, again, it's just a man-centric approach to evangelism, I guess. Um, 
but yeah, I, I love so much of what you shared and, and just that really filtering everything through scripture first, that that's mm-hmm. how we have to start. So then moving to the conversation of should Christians practice pronoun hospitality, right? As Rosario Butterfield talks about, should we, mm-hmm. should we cave? Should we even out of love for our brothers and sisters or out of love for those who are lost, be using their preferred pronouns and in effort to win them, right? It's so winning. We want to be winning. What are your thoughts on that? I want to, I want to say too, like I have not had to live this out very often because I really don't have, now that I'm not working for Young Life and I don't, I'm not in the schools anymore. I don't work at Starbucks. You know, I just, I work for a more conservative organization and I have the freedom mm-hmm. to just say what I want to say. Yeah. I'm really thankful for that. So I understand there are people where it's like, if I don't use the pronouns I'm told to use, I'm going to lose my job. I'm yeah. going to be fired. Mm-hmm. So I, I understand that those are considerations, but I think it goes back to, um, if you've read, I think it's live not by lies, Rob, yeah. Rob Dreher is that how you say? Dreher, Dreher. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, he was just talking about Soviet Christians. How did Christianity survive the Soviet union? Mm-hmm. And there was, I think an, an anecdote in there where it was a shopkeeper was not supposed to, he was supposed to put up a sign and he didn't want to, or he was putting up a sign. He wasn't supposed to do something. And he, it was like, he was like, they would come to his place and break his window or pull down the sign every single day or something. And he would just put it up the next day. It was this idea of like, I can't lie. I have to tell the truth. I understand there's consequences with that. I guess it's the idea that what do we lose if you don't tell the truth? Mm. And Rosaria Mm -hmm. Butterfield, when she recently uh, apologized I didn't remember super well her talking about pronouns saying we should use them. Yeah, I didn't but, remember that either. But I but I remember having a a tiny feeling of disappointment in her cuz she's been so influential mm-hmm. in my own personal journey. Her books uh, have meant so much to me and she's so brilliant. And I remember feeling a little bit of like, uh, I don't a, know. A small amount of hesitation like is she going to fall prey to this these well, lies as well. Say, and well, and I would say for me, it was more like, should I be using people's pronoun? You know, mm-hmm. so yeah, yeah. so influential. Mm-hmm. So so thankful when she clarified that and just talked about, yeah, the idea of like, if you're making it harder for someone to repent, yeah. woe to mm-hmm. you. I mean, that is kind of what so uh, is heavy. that like the tying the millstone around someone's neck sort of thing. You're actually putting barriers in front of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, repenting or the gospel in a sense of course it's not on us whether someone repents or not right but if you're lying to someone's face you're definitely right. not helping the gospel you're not helping right. them towards repentance and so i think things like i would i choose to say someone who identifies as gay mm-hmm. I, i'm not saying they're a gay person or a lesbian or something mm-hmm. because in my mind that's not actually something someone is mm-hmm. you're not born that way that's not just mm-hmm. who you are if you, if that's helpful to you and you call yourself that I'll say they identify as gay. Great. Mm -hmm. They identify as a woman, or these days I just say, he's a man who thinks he's a woman or acts like a woman, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. So I would say, I think it is very difficult, but I think Christians have to say, I can only say what's true. Yeah. So I think that requires, if it's a person you love in your life, I think that's a personal conversation. You say, you know, yeah. I want to hang out with you. I want to get coffee with you. I am Mm -hmm. not going to use the pronouns you say you want because I know what's true. I can't lie to you. I don't see that as loving. I I hope you can understand that. I hope we can have a relationship. I understand if that, if you don't. Totally agree. I want to take a second to introduce you to a new sponsor of Kindled, and that is the Learning Well Journal. The Learning Well Journal covers all aspects of the homeschooler's life home, homeschool, family, and faith. Get encouragement delivered straight to your home with Learning Well Journal, the quarterly print magazine that will equip and encourage your homeschool journey, the long days of motherhood, and your walk as a Christian homemaker. We know well that homeschooling does not just involve books. Homeschooling is a lifestyle. The pages of Learning Well Journal will enrich your homeschool, but they will also speak to all the areas of your life that make it so beautiful. 
Each issue is based around scripture and written from a Christian worldview and includes inspiration for meals and organization, ideas to create a home of peace and calm, and each issue is written in collaboration with parents with dozens of years of homeschooling experience, little ones through high school. To learn more and subscribe, visit alishahutchinson.com slash magazine. This uh, URL is linked in the show notes of this episode, but it is Alicia, A-L-I-C-I-A, Hutchinson, H-U-T-C-H-I-N-S-O-N dot com slash magazine. Use the code Kindled for $10 off an annual subscription when you order from the U.S. and Canada. That's Kindled for $10 off your subscription of Learning Well Journal. Yeah, I I do have someone in my life that does um, have claim to have want to be called a they them. Mm-hmm. And um, if that person I haven't been in a situation yet where I've been demanded to say it, I've been subtly corrected, but I won't, you know, I, I haven't said that and I won't say that. But if that person were to uh, lack, lash out, act out, you know, threaten consequences, I would have that kind of conversation with them at that, mm-hmm. at that point. Now, this person is clearly not a Christian, so mm-hmm. I'm not going to approach them as though they're a believer. I'm going to approach them as though they're not a believer. And I'm going to have grace in that conversation for someone who doesn't know the gospel and hope to be able to share it. Right. But, um, you know, just personally, I say that person's name, um, mm-hmm. and, uh, have, you know, close, close friends, family that will say, um, the person's name and even the correct pronoun. And again, mm-hmm. we get corrected. Mm-hmm. However, there's just, you can hold that line. And it's like in love because you love them, refuse to say things that are not truthful. Um, it's right. not a, it's not an attempt to change your mind through my subtle activism of not saying your pronouns. I, I know that the problem is deeper than pronouns. The problem sure. is, a transformed heart and mind, a new, you need to be born again. You need a new heart. You have a heart of stone. Well, like the issue yeah. is pronouns are just one of those surface level issues that mm-hmm. I don't think you're going to prevent someone from ever being saved. If you use their, their preferred pronouns, but you're not being true to scripture. You're not being true to right. God. If you cave on that, just like you wouldn't be, if you go along with your friends and you watch them do something that is bad for them and you don't stand up and say, Hey guys, this isn't, this isn't right. You shouldn't be doing this. I, I'm not going to go with you. I'm not going to be a party to that. Like it's the same type of thing. It's not saying that now it's your fault if they, you know, um, get in a car accident because they were drunk driving, but you can absolutely say, I won't let you have the keys. I'm not going to hand you the keys, you know, because right. this is bad for you. And I love you. And you can say right. that you're, that I'm mean and hateful and I don't care about you. All you want, it doesn't make it true, you know? Right. Well, and let's do an exercise. Why does that individual want to be called they, them? Because they don't, I don't identify as male or female. It's like, what do you mean by that? What do you mean male or female? Well, now well, there's like a hundred different answers to that question. Well, and, and it's like, well, do they gender mean... fluid two spirit? Like, well, it's things that when you dig down and you ask, it always comes back to a stereotypical view yeah. of a gender binary. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's like, is it that ironic that right. you're saying you're a woman who says my pronouns are he, him? Why? Well, I don't identify as a woman, what do you mean? Right. What does that mean to you? And it usually comes down to clothing they want to wear, mm-hmm. interests they have, colors they like. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, Hairstyle, could you be yeah. more cliche and stereotypical about right. being a woman or a man? It That's what is so almost hilariously I know. twisted with gender ideology. And it's like, mm-hmm. and that's what, what I had to come to terms with is at some point you have to look in the mirror and say, I am a woman. There is no question that I'm a Mm -hmm. woman. I'm a woman who has enjoyed video games. I like working outside. Mm -hmm. Um, I like playing sports. I don't love things that are seen as stereotypically female in terms of just domestic, like I'm learning how to cook or things like that. Sure. But the idea that an interest 
makes me a woman or not, yeah. or, and I don't prefer to wear dresses mm-hmm. and, and I've struggled with that, with gender stuff growing up. So that was the feeling is like, well, I don't like to wear dresses. So I must have been made wrong. And I must yeah. be like a boy on the inside. So I think when people start asking questions, so if you have a kid that comes to you and says this, and you start asking these questions and an adult that loves them is able to say, no, you are a girl. That's just how it is. God made you a girl. That's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's okay that you like to wear the color blue. Yeah. And it's okay that you like to work with dad out in the yard. Right. That doesn't mean you're any doesn't less change of a girl. Your gender. Yeah. And looking and seeing what the Bible, well, the whole Bible is to women, right? And the whole Bible is to men. Mm-hmm. And then there's specific things that are that women are called to do and that men are called to do, which are great. So I would say coming back to those things with Mm -hmm. your, your friend or your person who's struggling with gender identity things is really good. And, and holding a lot more loosely, um, the culturally specific things there's in every culture, there's culturally appropriate dress, like a spectrum Mm -hmm. of dress for women and a spectrum of dress for men. Mm -hmm. And we live in a period of time where there's women's jeans and men's jeans. And you could argue, it's like, is it that big of a deal if those, if like women wear men's jeans, sometimes it's hard to tell like Mm style-wise if that there's any difference there. So I would say it's definitely good to dress. Especially these days, right? When men have like skinnier jeans than I do. (laughs) Well, it's crazy because when I went to, I got to go to Kenya a few years ago and, you know, obviously fast fashion is a whole nother problem, but you a lot of our clothing gets thrown into the third world. Yeah, There was not a ton of gender distinction ac- across clothing, not in dresses or anything, but I mean, boys would be wearing a pink t-shirt and mm-hmm. a pair of skinny jeans, not, yeah. not in any way making any kind no. of statement just right. because just the what clothing they was available. Yes. Yeah. So that was very fascinating. It was interesting. Right. But I would say every culture has things that are appropriate for men to wear and appropriate for women to wear. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's a good thing. And we should say that's great. But we have, we can hold those things a little more loosely because we can see across cultures, there are things that change. That's not sinful, but there's some cultural differences. And then there's things about being a man or a woman that do not change across culture Mm -hmm. and that are good and unique about women and unique about men. And so I think helping someone who struggles with this to see the differences, Mm -hmm. to lay, to have the biblical lens, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman using the Bible as a guide? and, And then put the cultural stuff on top of that would be really helpful. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Totally. Yes, I agree. Uh, and back to kind of what you're talking about, the the irony of the gender binary, you know, they say like we reject the gender binary, but actually you don't reject it. You are defining yourself by it. Yeah. You you are literally taking the gender binary. And, and I don't mean that there's a male and female. I mean, in your mind, the binary is like you said, all these preferences, all these aesthetic things, these like, how do I look? Um, what do I enjoy? My interests, all of those things, or even who I'm attracted to and saying that that is specifically a male thing or specifically a female thing where it's like, no, because of sin, we can actually recognize that both genders can be attracted to either gender. We have a label for that and it's called sin. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not something that we then define ourselves by and say, I'm going to now live as the other gender because I'm attracted to this gender, you know? Right. Um, and it's just interesting that yes, they are absolutely the 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 ones the most in enslaved and entrapped really in this false binary and not living in freedom within the true binary that is there is both male and female, right? Um yeah. while keeping in mind that from a biblical worldview, we can recognize that because of Christ the ultimate leveling has happened between both genders, cultures, every mm-hmm. differentiation that there can be made. There is ne- neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. You know, all are one in Christ. All are essentially leveled by what Christ did, what we needed him to do. And we are 
laid out. Like we're all in need of salvation. Like there's nobody who's better or worse or greater or smaller. We have different roles, obviously, in creation that are God-given and good and ordained by him. And um, like you said, like there's a ton of distinct, beautiful things about being a woman that are, that a man doesn't have, you know, a man can't grow a baby in his uterus. A man doesn't have a cycle. A man doesn't have the same, um, you know, some of this can get a little gray, but doesn't have the same nurturing spirit or attention to maybe the emotional needs or awareness of others. Now, some men obviously are higher on that spectrum. My husband is one of them because he has three girls and me and Mm -hmm. he's the only boy around. And so he's pretty emotionally intelligent, but Mm -hmm. you know, there's a spectrum there, of course, but there's things about us that are made distinctly to, to really speak of God's greatness and God's glory. Um, There's so many things that men do and can do that I can't do and won't ever be able to do that. I'm so grateful. I don't have to do, you know, so grateful. I don't have to be the head of the home and make hard calls and, shoulder the primary burden of providing for our family. I mean, and when I've been in seasons where I've had to do that out of necessity, tried to do that out of sin, like literally it's bad for me physically. You know, Mm -hmm. part of it, part of why I even got diagnosed with hypothyroidism was because when my husband lost his job this past fall and was laid off, I had to kind of step in and take the brunt of income earning and was working more than I ever wanted to or planned to or would like to have been working and it was like honestly a result of kind of the level of stress that i was bearing in my body trying to kind of make that happen is truly what triggered my health issues and it's like right. because yeah. i'm not meant to bear the same burden that you are and right. not to say i was in sin doing what i had to do for a season knowing that wasn't sure. what i wanted to do but it's just it's incredible when you see all the differences really between men and women and how beautiful they are and how good it is for us to live inside of those. Um, then I think that helps us not be so afraid of people's reaction when we refuse to kind of play or say the thing they demand or play by their rules or, you know, we just lovingly say, like, I can't do that and I won't do that because, you know, I actually believe this to be true. And, you know. I hope we can still be friends <laughs> that right. essentially like, I'm not going to just, I'm not, I'm not just going to cower in and um, cave to, to your demands. Right. And I think too, so, so I had a relationship with a woman. It last, it was a, it started out as a friendship that became really unhealthy then sexual. And then now no contact. That was about 10 years ago. It ended. And it was one of those things. So I feel like I can say from personal experience, and I would say this to a Christian audience on a Christian podcast, but I think there is a demonic underpinning to all of this. And I would say, sort of generally speaking, if you think about like sort of Marxism and this idea of like, there's this pervasive like demonicness to like leftist ideology or secular humanism or all these things, right? But so it's like they're deeply unhappy people that are mad other people are happy. So, mm-hmm. and, and but it's just like the demonic hates marriage, hates family, mm-hmm. hates moms and dads loving their children. It, it, Satan wants to take everything good that God's made and promise you that you can do it however you want and it's going to be just as fine or better or whatever, right? So any kind of sexual proclivity and behavior and and all these perversions is because it's like you'll hear that people will say this is how to spice things up or this is how to make it more interesting whatever where it's like intimacy between a person who really loves you and cares for you and sacrifices for you is not enough anymore you have to do things to keep it interesting because i think the demonic is always trying to twist and 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 say that they can make it better right so I just remember when I was in that relationship. So I never identified as LGBT, anything, always knew God was true, right, true, good, always knew what I was doing was wrong, but you get trapped into a relationship where it's like, I do love this person and care about them, but you're using them for something Mm -hmm. illegitimate, you know, you're Mm -hmm. going, but it's like, I could feel how dark and heavy it felt. And so there's a part of me too, that feels so frustrated with Christians that are like nudging people into this. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about suicide, people like, I think it is true that 
people who identify with an LGBT have a higher suicide rate, Yeah. but, but they diagnose it incorrectly and think right. it's because people don't like them or they're mean to them. And it's like, there's been no greater time or place in history than the West to identify yeah. as gay. And right. the Netherlands has had gay marriage for like 20 it's literally plus years. The national religion, you know, yeah, right. No, state religion. Yeah. State approved religion. So that's just, it's just garbage. But if you are a Christian and you start looking at it through the lens of, is the goal of the demonic to get a human being to loathe themselves? I'm a woman and I hate it. I hate my body to the point I will cut body parts off. I'll take whatever hormones I can to change it and, mm. and look like something different, <clears throat> dress like something different. The perversion that just is on the street that mm -hmm. people are like, look and see what we're doing. And people acting like or dressing like animals and all this just and trying to get kids on board and all these weird things, right? Um, when Christians are saying that's okay, oh, okay, well, that's being loving and I'm going to wave that flag to me as a Christian who was in it. I'm like, that makes me extremely angry because yeah. it feels like a Christian pushing you, nudging you toward mm -hmm. that brink. Oh yeah. So the demonic would want you to loathe yourself. Right hate the God who made you and ultimately of course end your life because then you don't get a chance to repent and you have God can't do anything else with your life. I mean, can't use you anymore in a sense because you're dead. So of course that's the enemy's goal is yeah. I don't want mm -hmm. this person around anymore, period. So that is this brink that it feels like the point that's the point is mm -hmm. for people to go toward this brink. And so any Christian is participating in that I have, it's, I'm quite frustrated with. And so that was a, that was a big part. I mean, people who read my blog or sometimes don't like my tone. And I would say, I try Same. to keep it light. Yeah. I try to keep it light. I'm, I'm much better, you know, if I can have a conversation because you can see right. facial expression and tone and things like that. But if I get snarky or passionate in my blogs, it's because I feel mm -hmm. this sense of like, we are on this gospel rescue mission and um, yeah, a, mm -hmm. a true understanding of identity, who we are as men and women, who we are in Christ, who a person could be if they came to accept Christ. That to me is, is essential. That's what Christians are supposed to be doing. Yeah. Well, and like you said, I mean, we do have to be careful not to, in our anger, sin, but to say that essentially like all anger is always sin and you could never be frustrated or even, um, even very angry with the way that some Christians have, you know, really abandoned the cause and truly switched sides. Like, I guess they I guess you don't understand how big a deal this is. That's mm -hmm. my response mm -hmm. is like, I guess we are on very different pages as to what the Great Commission says and how we are to obey God, because you are literally not teaching them to obey all he commands mm -hmm. and you are still calling yourself a Christian. And so in my mind, if you reject the Great Commission, you reject what you are literally what defines you as a Christian to follow Christ and then help others learn to do the same thing, then get rid of the label, please. Please mm -hmm. be done with the label because that's dishonest and that's misleading. Um, and I have zero patience for that. And I don't think I need to have patience for that, for, for those Christians. They need to be called to repent. They need to be called out for what they're doing. And they need to have no mercy in a sense of not that no mercy for their soul, but no um, shifting of the lines, shifting of the definitions so that they can you know, still feel like they're kind of doing God's work, but they're just going to go about it. It's like, no, no. Today is the day of salvation. And if you are rejecting God's word and his ways for people who need him, you don't, you don't get to call yourself a Christian anymore. <laughs> like you right. don't get to go around deceiving people. And my frustration that you're doing that doesn't mean I'm in sin. It means you're in sin. That's, mm -hmm. that's why I'm frustrated because you have abandoned your first love. You have actually turned and now you're playing for the other team and just like it's again, we need to have right judgment, you know, not judging as man judges, but to judge with right judgment and um, and see that for what it is. And and also out of truly out of love for those who are being led astray. It is right. that that is what I think people miss um, in, you know, stuff like what you and I talk about is that it is coming from a deep place of love and concern for the sheep, for those who are susceptible to that message for the naive, the uneducated, the baby Christian, the one who is truly struggling, like right. where you have been, 
where many have been um and and even where I have been in with different things like we've all struggled with different different sin um entanglements essentially and to to really refuse to give that person the lifeline that they need is the most unloving thing there is it truly right. it is well and I think too if anyone was to like as a christian when i'm speaking I know that people think it's motivated out of a sense of like self-righteousness or judgment sometimes when it's like, no, the reality is I know how horrible a sinner I am Mm -hmm. and how horrific this sin in particular was. Like Paul says, it's the sin that's against your own body. Right. Right. Sexual sin. I think Mm -hmm. he makes a bit of a distinction. Yeah. And so that is why I know I'm a terrible Mm -hmm. sinner and the Mm -hmm. sin is terrible. It's terrible for me and for human flourishing. That's the passion behind Mm -hmm. you need to tell the truth about it. It's not a sense of Mm -hmm. now I'm perfect and I've got it together and you're a big sinner, you know, those kinds of things. It's like, it feels like the most passionate, well, it's interesting, the most loving and passionate and forgiving Christians are the ones who've been forgiven much, you know? So yeah. And if, if there's anything we, we could do better at, which I, I will say this, if there's anything Christians, um, you know, could theologically conservative Christians could do better at it is, um, it is not letting up the gas, so to speak on speaking that same truth to, um, straight Christians about their sexual sin, because, you know, like lesbian sexual sin is, is not somehow worse than, heterosexual sin, you know, uh, in, in that category of sexual sin, it is, they are both a sin against your own body. And having been someone who has been in living in a state of that, choosing to disobey God, knowing better, walking in disobedience. I completely agree with you. It is demonic. It is dark. It is heavy. You feel the oppression, you know, it's, if you're a Christian, especially, or if, if God is convicting you, like, you know, and when you, when you defy that, when you walk against it, there is maybe just no worse feeling um, living in. And and then you go imagine someone coming and telling, you, no, actually it's, it's fine. Like, right. You've been, you've been lied to like, just, you know, lighten up, like, come on, it's not that bad. Like all feelings aren't, all feelings aren't sinful. Some feelings are fine. This is good. You know, this can be okay. Um, Have grace for yourself. Right. If Mm -hmm. now, like, imagine you just gave me the license to, be miserable. (laughs) Really? That's all you're doing. You're giving help. No, that's not helping me. That's just enabling me to be so miserable in my sin and lost and dead. Like you don't love me. You hate me. And you Mm -hmm. think, I know you think you're loving, but that is not loving. And so we have to be bold. We have to be willing to stand up and call that out and be hated and be disliked and be unfollowed and unfriended because that, that might be what it requires to love someone truly. Um, right. Again, it sucks. I am not saying that it is my favorite way for things to go, but it it sometimes has to go that way in order to truly love someone. So yeah, yeah, I guess that's any final thoughts on, you know, encouragement for people listening, especially those with loved ones that they are thinking, you know, have in mind through this whole conversation. Yeah. I had one, one thought earlier. I had a young life colleague, we just, we were eating a meal and he said something like, well, I wouldn't, I just wouldn't say anything if I had a guy who, came and said, well, I have same-sex attraction to guys. I just would kind of not say anything. Hmm. And I was like, would you not say anything if he said he liked a girl? There was this inter- there's this feeling of like, this feels like something we can't handle. It's too big hmm. or weird or deep, but it'd be fine. I would disciple my kid if they talked about a typical hmm. attraction. Right, right. My, my thing to parents or just anyone who's leading kids or anyone who's speaking at all is just being curious and asking a lot of questions, I think would really be helpful. And I wish that had happened to me as a kid. I'm so thankful I didn't grow up when I did. I mean, right now. Yeah. I'm thankful my parents are Christians. So, you know, I probably would have been saved and I was homeschooled and I would be saved in some ways from some of this craziness happening. And they didn't have the tools, I I wouldn't say, in the same way a lot of people could now to have some of those conversations. They just didn't know. Sure. Yeah. But I would just say asking questions and being the first one to talk to your kid. Mm -hmm. You've talked about this too, I think, in an age-appropriate way. We talk about Mm -hmm. what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a woman? Where do babies come from? Mm -hmm. Preparing for when you're going to be in public and you're going to see the person dressed in a certain way. 
and maybe helping your kid not say something to that person or whatever. Mm -hmm. But having conversations, being curious and being the first person to have these conversations, educating yourself like Rosaria Butterfield's books, Christopher Yuan, Mm -hmm. Holy Sexuality, I think is one of the most impactful books that I've ever read on the topic. And so he has a course coming out at the end of this month on on that, which is so great. That looks great. Yeah. So it's just, there's so many great resources. I'm so thankful for the period of time we're in where God there's been, and it's just like, we were talking about at the start of the conversation, there's so many people who are not white, all different spectrum of culture and ethnicity who talk about conservative principles, right? So we're seeing all that now because it's all just coming up. It's not this minority view anymore. But in the same way, there's been so many people who are saying God has done something in my life around sexuality or gender. And now I'm sharing it and I can write a book and I have a curriculum and there's so many resources I'm so thankful for. So I'm, I'm really thankful for if parents or, or teachers or pastors need something, they can mm-hmm. find it now. And I would just say, don't shy away from these conversations. It's really important. Yeah. And so encouraging and such great great words there. Thank you for sharing your story and just, um, you know, starting your account and doing the hard thing. I mean, you're leaning into really, really difficult conversations and that is helping others think through those things as well. So where can people connect with you online, follow you all that? Yeah. So it's do better underscore theology is my Instagram. And then I have a Substack, which I don't actually, you can find the link from my Instagram, but it's like Substack slash do better theology or something like that. So yeah. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. I pray that that was a blessing to you. And um, again, share that with anyone who you know is is dealing with friends or family members that are LGBTQ identifying who um, may need some of the wisdom and encouragement in in this episode. Um, you know, I, I think it's really helpful to hear from someone who's walked through it, someone who's been helped by the truth of God's word and the hope that is within its pages. And we can be bearers of that hope for others. We are, in fact, ambassadors of Christ, and we have the message of the gospel of reconciliation, that God has peace with man through Christ, and we can be bearers of that to others. Again, that's going to look different for every relationship, depending on where you're at, but um, I just want to encourage you not to lose heart, not to give up, not to stop praying for people, not to um, you know, lie down and play dead, <laughs> so to speak, in this conversation, but rather to lovingly and truthfully stand firm on the truth of God's word and, and let people hate you if they may, if they choose to, but also allow yourself to be used by God. You know, if we want to be used, I know so many of us do, we actually have to be willing to engage and be willing to be hated, um, which Christ promised us we would be because they hated him first. So it's not the goal, but it is going to be one of the results of standing firm in a wicked day and age, which is uh, the one we live in. So praying for all of you as we continue through um, this month of opportunities for, for sharing the gospel. And I hope that this was helpful. All right. Have a great week and I'll see you next time on Kindled.